Welcome to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us today. So we're back with our fourth installment of our farmer interviews. Today, we have Brian Case joining us from Southwest Champaign County. So Brian, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your farm. Um, my name is uh, Brian Case. Yeah, I live here in Champaign County, Southwest Champaign County, just uh, south of St. Paris, I guess. Cover approximately 900 acres. Um, it's 100% no-till, corn and soybean. Um, dabbling a little bit uh, with some molding barley and then I've also begun to incorporate cover crops into the operation. It's just me. I'm a, a one owner uh, operation with me. Uh, my two sons help me and then I also have another equipment sharing arrangement with some neighbors in the fall for harvest. Wow that's pretty diverse. <laughs> Excited to learn how you balance all of that. <laughs> one thing that I learned about you is that you're a first generation farmer which that's pretty unique. Could you tell us a little bit about how you got started farming? Uh, yes. Uh, growing up, uh, both of my parents were school teachers. And uh, my grandfather on my mother's side had a small a vegetable operation there west of Toledo. So when I was younger, probably grade school age, I would go up in the summer and uh, spend time with him. But of course, he got out of that uh, long before I was big enough to do much. So I spent a lot of time uh, Riding with neighbors, anybody that would let me ride, uh, asking a lot of questions, uh, just kind of piqued my interest in it. Then I was probably 14 or 15, um, I started working for uh, Dean and Charlie Kite here, uh, just baling hay and picking up rocks, and, um, and that just progressed. I worked for them um, all through high school, and uh, even when I was home some from uh, college, I would still help there some. I, of course, I went to Purdue. Uh, once I graduated from there, and I took a lot of agronomy classes. I studied uh, farm management, but really took a heavy load of agronomy also, just trying to learn, knowing I wanted to be in agriculture somewhere. I was uh, working as an agronomist on a large uh, vegetable and seed operation in southwest Indiana when Dean got a hold of me and said he got an opportunity to expand, um, along with that adding a Pioneer Seed dealership, and wanted to know if I'd be interested in coming back home and uh, farming. So. Of course I did, um, you know, just made my day when he called. And um, so we did that. We formed a, a, a partnership, an operating agreement, and we operated that until 2006, I believe, when he started to retire. And then I bought out the rest of the machinery that he didn't own and uh, some of the land and uh, started on my own. So, and that's currently where I'm at today. Well, that's pretty unique way, as Elizabeth, as Elizabeth said, we don't get hear about too many first generation farmers these days. And I guess I'm outnumbered with um, Purdue graduates here on the call, because <laughs> there's a graduate from Purdue also. Yeah, you didn't tell me there was a fellow Boilermaker out there today. <laughs> yeah, so that's, a unique opportunity, I think, and inspiration to those out there interested in farming. Um, my husband and I, neither of us um, had parents that were involved in agriculture, and now we both are. Of course, he manages the Farm Science Review, um, so we don't farm on our own, but I kind of get where you're coming from, where you get a bug for it, and um, I think that's how all of us in agriculture feel. Tell us a little bit, you mentioned your boys help you on the farm. Are they interested in continuing and making it a second generation operation? 
I think I think so. Um, Matthew is uh, my oldest one. He'll be turning 19 here in another week. Um, but of course, he graduates from high school here, and um, but he's going to be attending um, ATI and um, studying agronomy. And um, I think his eventual plans are to transfer down to main campus then. And um, I believe it's down there. It's what agronomy and sustainable plant systems or something like like that. I think is what the ends up the bachelor's degree is. So yeah, he's got a strong interest. In it, um, really enjoys it. Um, so yeah, maybe someday. Uh, my other son Brent, who is 16. Um, yeah, he is. He's beginning to get an interest in it. Has spent a lot of time with me here lately, and um, has worked with. Um, be my father-in-law, Dale Sloan, who had Sloan Ag Consulting. He's helped Dale some, pull some soil sampling and do some things like that. So yeah, they are both interested. Um, you know, if the opportunity is there, whether we're large enough to sustain two families or not, that is, you know, yet to be seen. Yeah, that's uh, kind of the key, I think, and a lot of this is um, if you're able to expand, but there's a lot of competition, um, especially in Champaign County for land and continuing those farms onto the next generation. What steps have you guys made in your, I guess, transition or succession plan uh, to have that opportunity available for them if they want to do it? Uh, yeah, I mean, we are, farm is set up um, as an LLC. And so with uh, my wife and I each owning 50% of the shares in that. So it's, you know, one of them would, would like to join, you know, as I begin to slow down or retire, um, we could either, they could either purchase or could gift them shares in the LLC to bring their membership in. So as a transition for the operating assets. And then of course our land is, what land we own is held in a separate trust and uh, which, you know, they are the eventual beneficiaries of that, you know, anyways. Yeah, and talking with you a little bit, about this before you said that you really think that they should have some training beyond high school or working off the farm and that's something um, we don't see as often but especially and I think some other countries is really key where they uh, the next generation goes and works on another farm and we hear that you know go make your mistakes <laughs> under someone's watch right and learn some things and bring that back to the farm. I think that's vitally um, important to uh, one gain some some skills and you know have kind of gives you a plan B if you work for somebody else you've got a different set of skill set there but um, just some different experience um, getting away from working for dad um, you know I'm not as critical on him probably as another employee would be so um, to do that and plus to learn, you know, to do things differently. I mean, it's one of the things, you know, when I came back, you know, we began to do things differently than what Dean and Charlie had always done. You know, had some different ideas and seen some different things so you don't always fall into that trap. Well, I got to do it dad's way because that's the only way I know. And uh, so, and I just we'll probably have a little more respect to get out of that. You know, they've got some management skills and things like that coming, you know, from the outside back in. So I just, Think that leads to a smoother transition I, with my seed business and some of my other contacts i've seen a lot of operations where the you know, son graduates from high school or college and just, just comes right back and nothing ever changes dad's still in charge 
you know, you read about Alton until he's 65 or 70 years old and, and the son or the next generation never has a chance to, to grow on their own or blossom and it creates a lot of headaches and a lot of tension in there. So I think it would be very helpful for him to, you know, to work somewhere else and uh, gain some different experience and some different knowledges to bring back. Yeah, and I think with you um, being the first generation, you have a unique opportunity to actually retire, maybe if you're interested, you know, at a decent <laughs> retirement age and allow them to take over management. Um, a lot of times that is so delayed in farming because, of course, we want to keep farming as long as we can. But that makes it really hard, like you said, for the next generation to really implement any changes or um try some new things on the farm. Yeah, so one of the things you talked about earlier was your equipment sharing. So apparently your outlook on farm transition isn't the only unique approach that you're taking. So could you share a little bit more about how your equipment sharing process works and how you guys came to that idea? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a little bit unique because I haven't always had to do things the way dad did them. So I can you know, look at things coming from a different side of the industry and do some kind of what are some people consider some out of the box things in terms of that. So um, was looking at, you know, with three of us, the other two guys, it's uh, Matt Yoder and Jack Summers. Um, we're all involved together in a, another group called Champagne Premium Grain Growers, where there's a pool of about 40 different farmers that were organized where we purchase inputs and things like that together. So we were all members of that and knew each other and we're friends and we're all kind of had realized that we're all in the same, we're all in the same boat. We all were single person operators that had expanded a little bit. Um, equipment was older. So we were all kind of talking about replacing combines and we needed labor and things like that. And we decided that it didn't make much sense for all three of us to go out and, you know, make 500 or $750,000 investments in equipment when we could probably pool our resources and uh, do it together. So that's kind of how the conversation originally started out. And um, it, it has worked well. Um, we started out, um, we've done anywhere, um, we've leased combines for a while. And where we would lease the combines, we own the heads. And then um, each member would either contribute the tractor or the grain cart or semis and labor. Um, the whole key to that's been is we all get along well enough. We've been doing it for 13 or 14 years that we agreed from the outset. You have to do this as it's one. We cover about 3,000 acres. We have one 3,000 acre farm to harvest in the fall. You know, it can't be Matt Yoder and Brian Case and Jack Summers. It's wherever it's fit to go. That's where we go. Um, if it makes sense to move, you know, then we'll move. But we look at, look at of all of the mindset of a, uh, one big farm to harvest. And that that's really helped. Yeah, that definitely takes, uh, I think, an unselfish um, group of people to do that. I mean, you guys are close, but you're in some different areas across the county too. So that helps you to be able to move around. But um, having the best interest and in trying to look at it as a whole is, I'm sure, really key to making that work rather than, you know, my crop is more important than someone else's. Yeah, I mean, we have, it took us about, I'm going to say two or three years to get going on it. We worked on it for a couple of years, two or three years before we did it. Um, you know, Barry Ward helped us out. Um, Howard Doster, you know, when he was still at Purdue, it helped us. Um, we have very detailed um, and ownership agreements 
in terms of how costs are split out. I mean, it, it's pretty cut and dry and how that's done. Um, we've also, you know, and who's responsible for doing what. Um, you know, we have details if somebody wants to exit. It's very detailed on how that process happens. So everything is there. Um, we, you know, won't say that we haven't had disagreements along the line, but I mean, we even got a section in there that deals with that if we have to, but we've always been able to, between the three of us, uh, just, you know, we put it up for a vote and once the decision's decided, you know, that's what we're doing and everybody puts their best foot forward then and, and away we go. So, I mean, it, it takes unique individuals to do that. I think, you know, the three of us kind of think outside the box sometimes and, you know, that, I think that's what it takes. And um, it's, you know, you guys have said if you were friends after three or four years, why that would be a great accomplishment. And uh, I think now we all kind of look forward to harvest because we enjoy working with each other. And, um, you know, by the end of it, we're, we're ready for a break. <laughs> so what would you say are kind of the top, uh, I don't know, two or three major benefits to going that route as opposed to purchasing your own equipment? One, you know, just the initial capital investment. You don't have that machine sitting out in the barn for, you use it for three months out of the year and then it just sits there for the rest of it. So that, that has worked out well. Um, the labor factor, you know, trying to find extra labor, you know, has been difficult in the harvest. And so us being able to do that together has allowed us to be very cost economical. Um, we know what our harvest costs are. I think guys would be surprised at what their harvest costs are. So as far as planning and budgeting, that's been a real benefit to know what our costs are. Um, and I, they're a lot greater than what people think they are because you know we charge, because we're each contributing different amounts and need reimbursed. I mean, we, we have a cost for everything, you know, for, for labor, labor, support machinery, you know, things like that all gets charged off. So once you start figuring in that tractor to run the grain cart that you might normally not normally charge for because, well, I use it in the spring. It's just sitting there in the fall. Well, it, it costs something to own that and run that. So yeah, it's, and you know, being that we were, we're very efficient in terms of our cost per acre and what we've seen. So I think the labor savings, the efficiency and just freeing up the extra capital um, has, you know, been real benefits that, um, have allowed us to really operate. You know, we can afford the newer technology where we wouldn't if we were operating as three smaller operations trying to own our own equipment. Um, you know, we'd all be in older machines and not have access to the latest technology and newer machines. So uh, that's that's been a real real key benefit. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think, you know, you talked about how everything is in writing and clearly you guys spent a lot of time planning out how this is gonna work. Yeah, that's probably, aside from your personalities, the next greatest reason that you're successful is just nothing was left unplanned. Yeah, we uh, we uncovered a lot, you know, uncovered a lot of stones, you know, doing that. And it, you know, we, you know, we're unique in how we do it. Um, it's not everything. Some things are charged as a percentage of ownership. Some things are charged by the number of bushels that get through. Um, just, you know, if one guy has a bad crop and another guy has a really good crop, you know, their charges, you know, are going to be different. So we, we thought a lot of that, thought a lot of those scenarios through. So, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty detailed work has worked well. I, I appreciate you sharing that because I think like you mentioned the benefits there and there's, um, farmers out there who could potentially 
think about something like that for their area and help increase their farm profitability too. Well, as I say, we've, we've always tailored this around, you know, sometime we've, we've had, you know, three year lease agreements or purchase agreements or something like that with the combine. So we tail our operating and membership agreements to that. And at the end of those times we sit around and say, well, you know, is anybody ready to do anything different? And we've all said, no, <laughs> you know, we're just, nobody is, you know, it's, it's worked well enough that, uh, you know, nobody is really saying, that's eh, time to get out. That's great. Uh, mention malting barley. You've gotten into that recently. So how's that been going as far as being able to make it through the winter? Do you see it as something that you're going to continue to keep in your rotation? Uh, well, I tell everybody I'm the poster child for what not to do with it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I personally have not had very good success with it, but most of that has been some of my own, my own faults into some late planning and some, uh, along with the late planning, um, I've come from the year before in the soybeans, we were so late, the herbicides were sprayed late. So the first year I had some herbicide carryover issues. Um, you know, last year was some late planning. Um, so we had a lot of winter kill in it. Um, unfortunately, mine didn't survive. I didn't have any to harvest here this past summer. And then um, with the way things, we didn't get beans planted till you know, middle of June this year. They didn't come off till the end of October. So I thought it was too late to plant it. Uh, that's the one thing I've been watching. It, it, it's not as forgiving as wheat in terms of planting date. It really needs to be in the ground by mid-October. And so I didn't get any planted, but uh, what I've seen it around, some other guys that have had success, yes, it's something I want to keep in the rotation in terms of bringing some small grains back into the rotation in terms of what I'm trying to do with some cover crops and uh, things like that. Would You know, just for soil health-wise, you know, if I can get some small grains back into the rotation, you know, and I think that's probably an ec economical way to do it, you know, if they can still keep the malting end of it, you know, in business that way if there's a demand for it. it allows to I mean it comes off two to three weeks earlier than wheat so there's an opportunity to double crop some beans and so your income you know your gross income per acre is can be fairly good yeah I definitely think the economics are there as long as we can get can continue to have variety improvement and ensure that we make molding quality and you mentioned soil health and you've been doing some stuff with cover crops as well how long have you been with cover crops I've uh, been messing with cover crops for probably five or six years now. Um, just kind of on a simple deal with using some cereal rye and some manual rye. Been working well. Been venturing in the last two or three years, uh, planting more of it green. Really starting to see some benefits out of that. Um, you know, in terms of being able to move water drainage through the soil profile has really, as that soil structure has improved, the water holding capacity has come right along with it, you know, been able to do some things in the field and some fields that, you know, a day or two earlier that, that I haven't been before are kind of lighter clay soils. We used to have it when we were doing tillage, had a terrible problem with crusting. That's not a concern anymore. We're a no-tilling and got the cover crops. Um, so really seeing some, some good benefits out of that. Um, looking now into expand into some, maybe some different mixes and different timings of planning on that. Um, so really, really excited about what that's, what that's being able 
what I can go forward with with that. Well, Brian, thank you so much. Um, this has been a really interesting interview. You've got a lot of unique things going on. So we appreciate you taking time out of your day to talk with us and share with farmers across Ohio. Oh, no problem. But you know, like I said, I'm in a unique situation and uh, like to see, you know, people like me, you know, first generation people that have an interest. It doesn't come along very often. And if I can help somebody else, you know, get started or spur some ideas along, I, uh, you know, be more than willing to, you know, feel free to contact me anytime. If you guys have more questions or anybody else has any questions or wants to sit down with some more detailed information, why, you know, I'd be willing. I'm very blessed and very fortunate to be in the situation I am and uh, would sure like the ability to uh, pass it on or, you know, help others out. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Join us again in two weeks for our next episode.